we are continuing talking about context. We're going to continue to talk about uh, how do we know what the Bible says and how do we know that our understanding of the Bible is correct. And there is no easy way um, to achieve this. I mean, you, you have to study. You have to read. Um, you can't just snap your fingers or listen to a preacher or, or um, just hope that you can understand Scripture or just hope that the Holy Spirit is going to magically let you understand all of His Word when you're not reading His Word and taking His Word in. And so the first thing that I want to say before we even get started on how do we understand Scripture is, is we have to work toward it. We have to take it in. We have to read it. We have to hear it. We have to talk about it with people. We have to make sure that that our understanding is correct. You know, before I preach, one of the things that I do each week is I study the Scripture. Uh, for example, I'll tell this. I'm preparing for First um, John. Uh, that I think that's going to be the next book that we tackle. Um, and so I've been reading First John, reading it over and over and over again, so that I can have an understanding of it and really grasp the whole thing, the whole letter. And and so that's the first step for me is just you know reading and, and understanding what it says. And then I start to contemplate it. I slow down. I've, I've taken it in, the whole thing, day after day after day. I'm reading the whole letter. It's not a big letter. And so then I slow down, and I go, and I tackle it like one paragraph at a time or one chapter at a time, a smaller portion than the whole book. And I try to make sure that what I'm reading and what I'm understanding is accurate. And so once I have down what I think is accurate, then I go to, to different commentaries, different tools of what other men have said and women have said about this text. And I want to make sure that what I'm saying is accurate. Now, if I read something that says something differently than what I understand it to be, that doesn't mean that I automatically go, oh, well, this guy must be right. Okay? I, what I do is I take his um, understanding, his commentary... I process it. I, I look at it in the context of the whole letter of First John and the whole New Testament and the whole Bible. And if he's right and I was wrong, then that's okay. I change my understanding. Because one of the problems with the, the church today is we think we have everything already figured out. We think we know it all. And that can't be true. Right? And so we have to come to the Scripture with humility. So we, we have to work at it. That's the first thing. You can't just magically know Scripture. Um, some people are gifted. Some people, I mean, they read something and they remember it, or they read it and they have the correct understanding the first time they read it. Um, th- that is just the way some people are. Uh, and I, I um, feel like I have a gift for remembering Scripture, but I still have to read it. I still have to study it. Just because I remember it doesn't mean that my understanding of what I remember is correct. So you have to read, you have to study, you have to work. The second thing is, is that you need to come to it with humility. If you're coming to it just to memorize it, you know, there have been people who can memorize entire books of the Bible and they, by their own confession, are not even Christians. So just taking in the Word... Just reading it is not enough. 
You have to come to it with humility, knowing that this is the word of God and that it is right and it is going to shape my understanding. It's going to shape my belief system. It's going to shape the way I see the world. And I'm going to do things according to what scripture says. And, and so we have to come to it with humility. And we also have to come to it with humility, knowing that our, our minds can be changed. Maybe our understanding is wrong on things. Uh, if you look back throughout Christian history, you can see time and time again where people have held fast to a certain belief that then time reveals, well, that was foolish. Why did they ever think that? Now, not everyone, of course, but one of the illustrations I used a few weeks ago was racism. That there was a time when a lot of Christians, a lot of Southern Baptists, um, looked at, as, at slavery as something that was good and something that we had a right to do is to own slaves. But now we can look back at it, and most of us, if not all of us, I hope it's all, but it, I'm confident in most, most of us look at slavery and say, that's barbaric. What right does a man have to own another man? But um, we justified it somehow. And I say we, meaning Christians. We. We played a part in that. And so today, we have to go to Scripture, and we have to ask ourselves, what is truth? Now, I'll give you an example of a modern-day thing. Um, I believe that homosexuality is a sin, that practicing... um, Sexual acts outside of the confines of marriage um, between a man and a woman is a sin. And I believe that because I believe that Scripture clearly portrays that. But am I open to the fact that maybe I'm wrong about that? Sure, I'm open to the fact that maybe I'm wrong about it. Do I think I'm wrong? No. But am I open to allowing Scripture to change my mind if, if that's what it says in Scripture my understanding is wrong? Absolutely. There are only a few things I'm not open to because without these things, um, where is our faith? One, in 2 Timothy 3.16, as we saw, we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, uh, we know that all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is the, literally says breathed out by God, breathed by God. And so I believe that this is the Word of God. And I don't think anybody's going to change my mind on that. Um, I'm coming to the Scripture believing that. And then Scripture affirms that. I'm coming to the Scripture believing that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm coming to the Scripture believing that. And after lots of studying of Scripture... To me, it's clear throughout the pages over and over and over again that that is truth. And so I come believe in that. And if we don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that he is our Savior, then that means we're not a Christian. We could be a Christian in a a non-biblical sense of um, I think Jesus is a good man and I liked his teaching, so I'm going to follow him. But we can't be a Christian in the church sense of the word of I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm a part of the body of believers if we don't believe that Jesus can save us. Does that make sense? Okay, so what we're going to look at, uh, and I'm going to do a little bit of review from last week's as we're going, just so that it fits all this together, and this will be, this is our last sermon on this, and so um, we're going to close this out. But 
But what we're going to do is we're going to look at several passages that we take out of context. And context meaning it's, it's immediate surroundings. So if there's a verse or a few verses, we're going to look at how sometimes we take that verse or those verses out of context of maybe the paragraph, the chapter, or the entire Bible. And we're going to look at the dangers in that. And we're going we're gonna to be talking about why it's important for us to know context. Last week I used the illustration of a puzzle. And we can look at the box and we can see the image that we're supposed to be piecing together. And as we're piecing it together, it really helps us to know the outline, the view of how this thing works, the, the bigger picture. And last week we talked about how that bigger picture is just having a really good, solid understanding of what the Bible says. And again, the only way to get that is to read it over and over again. If you don't like reading, then get it on audio, okay? If you have the Bible app, the U version, I believe it's called, app, then you can go to your translation and hit play, and it'll play the audio of that for you. So you can listen to it while you're driving down the road. Um, you can listen to it, you know, whenever. And, and so I encourage you to do that. Listen. Listen. If, you, if you're not going to read, then listen. Now, I don't think there's a substitute for reading or by listening and then pausing so you can think about what was just said. I'm not saying that you literally have to read it because um, what, what if you're blind or what if you can't read or something like that. But you should approach listening the same way you approach reading. And what I mean by that is, yes, listen to get an overall understanding of the Scripture. Listen to large chunks of Scripture at a time. But also... If you're only going to be listening, go back and listen to and pay attention to those sentences, those verses, those smaller parts of Scripture. And so um, what we're going to do, last week we, we took the airplane view, right? We, we talked about we're, we're flying and we can look down. That's the zoomed out version because we use the illustration of Google Maps also. That's the zoomed out version. You're seeing the big picture. And today we're going to zoom in, Okay. And so the, the first thing that we have to do when we go to Scripture is realize that everything we read fits into a larger picture. It fits. It's just a piece of the puzzle. Okay? And sometimes, this is where humility comes in. How many of you have ever been working a puzzle and you found a piece and you thought, oh, I know exactly where that goes. And you went to put it there and it just didn't fit. Has that ever happened to anybody? Okay, awesome. The three of you who do puzzles, um, thank you for raising your hand. Um, no, I'm just playing. That's, that's what happens sometimes, is we, we go to Scripture thinking that we know how something's going to work, thinking that we already have a good understanding of it, but then when we start looking at it, we realize, oh, that, that doesn't fit right there. That doesn't work together and fit together like I thought it did. And so then we know, okay, something's wrong. So then the question is, what is wrong? And we know that the scripture is not wrong. It's just our understanding of how this fits together that is wrong. Okay? And so we've already been talking about some of these things. If you remember when we read Philippians, we got to chapter 4, and there were several verses in chapter 4, one of them being Philippians 4.13. There were several verses that we can make them mean something that in context they don't mean. 
We've read Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens, strengthens me. We've seen people use that to say, I can do whatever. I can do anything. I can win this sporting event because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the truth of the matter is, in context, remember, Paul was talking about finances. He was talking about, hey, if, if the church at Philippi, they, they had given money to him to help support his ministry. And he was saying, thank you. Thank you so much for that. But I want you to know that it's not expected. That I have learned to exist when I have nothing, when I have little. And I have learned to exist when I have an abundance. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even be poor is what he's saying. So if, if we talked about when we were looking at that verse, if you want to use that at a sporting event, that is completely okay. As long as you know that what you're saying is, I can lose through Christ who strengthens me. But I can also win through Christ who strengthens me because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we have to know the context. The context, when, when, when I was first getting into being trained in ministry, um, Brandon Massey and Jeff Noble took me under their wings and they were teaching me these different things. And one of the things Jeff said all the time is context is key or context is king. And some of you have probably heard that phrase. But the context has a part, a major part, in determining what the verse means. There are times when we go to the scripture and we read something and we think, well, that, you know, absolutely contradicts this other part of scripture. But a lot of times what's going on is, is we just don't really understand what it's saying because we don't understand the context. There are a lot of verses that I used to have problems with in the Bible that I no longer have problems with because now I understand the greater context and I understand how, where that verse fits and how it fits. And we can take things out of context and make a bigger deal out of them than we need to or make them mean something that they don't mean. Okay? We used the example a couple of weeks ago of a letter. If I were to um, write April a letter because Matt's going out of town to youth camp this week, we're praying for you, sir. Um, no, you'll have a great time. So Matt's taking some of the, the students to Camp Siloam. And if I were to write April a letter, or modern day, I'm texting her. I'm not writing her a letter. Um, but if I were to write April a letter and Rose said, hey, text April and just tell her that we love her. And if there's anything we can do for you know, we're there for her. And so let's say I wrote her a text and I said, hey, Rose wanted me to text you and just say, hey, we love you. Matt's gone. If you need anything, let us know. Okay? That's a pretty clear text, right? Now, let's say that someone leaves off the rose part and the we can do anything to help you part and just says, did you know that Philip sent April a text saying he loves her? Well, then there's some questions that come up. Well, what, what does he mean by love? And so we have to be careful to exclude verses and passages from their context. So what is the context? Well, you can think of it as like these concentric circles that just get, get bigger and bigger, okay? The inner circle being its immediate context, where it's located, even like the verse itself, and it just gets bigger. Maybe the, the verse is a part of a large sentence. That's three or four verses, or a paragraph, or a, a chapter, 
or a section of a book or the entire book of the Bible or which testament is it in? Is it Old Testament or New Testament? And then the biggest context would be the entire Bible. Okay? And so we can't remove the verse from the context around it. And I mean all of Scripture. We have to know what this says in relation to other verses. Now, this is difficult sometimes because there are things that we're just going to have to agree to disagree about because um, the Scripture has a meaning, and that meaning is clear uh, as God desired it to be written, but we might not all agree on what that meaning is, if that makes sense. So our understanding is not perfect, but the Scripture is. So we're trying to get ourselves in a place, use tools, use resources and strategies, like keeping the verse in context, uh, that will help us to understand it so that we can apply it to our lives. Okay, with that said, um, we talked about Philippians 14, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We also talked about Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, it, which says that I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And what kind of plans are they? Yeah, they're good plans. They're plans to prosper us, you know, they're to do good for us. Uh, and not to harm us, those, those the verses say. But the context of it is what? Isaiah is writing a letter because Jerusalem has been destroyed and the Israelites have been taken as exiles into Babylon. And Jeremiah is sitting on the ruins of Jerusalem writing this letter to people who didn't listen to him, who didn't repent, who refused to repent, who chose to listen to false prophets and do the wrong thing. And that's what got them into this situation And Jeremiah says, unpack your bags, plant gardens, have babies, build houses, because you are going to be here for 70 years. But I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. So right there, it's like, hold on a second. I've known that verse. A lot of us know that verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Right? And they're good plans, not bad plans. And we we look at that and we say... God doesn't desire anything bad to happen to us, which in some form, maybe that's true, but not in the way we're using it. What, the way we're using it is, is that because we're a follower of Jesus, nothing bad is going to happen to us. Is that true? No. And when something around us looks like it's going wrong, we use it to say, well, surely God doesn't have a hand in this. But you know what? Sometimes God does have a hand in even the bad stuff that happens to us. Because, what, and I say bad from our understanding of things. Because Jerusalem being destroyed and the Israelites being taken uh, into exile, that, from a human perspective, looks bad. And yet God is saying that it's good. And we know that what ultimately happens is, is that God uses that exile to bring his people back to a place of spiritual health, a spiritual longing, so that when they are allowed to go back to Jerusalem, revival occurs. But, again, that's in Jeremiah. Do you know where we read about the revival? You have to go back in Scripture to Nehemiah and Ezra to get to read about what happens at a later date than what Jeremiah says over here. Because, again... As we've talked about in the past, Scripture is not in chronological order. It's pieced together, placed together by like genres, you could say. 
the first five books, the Pentateuch, the five, first five books of, of Moses and the Israelites, and then you get the historical books, and you get literature, or like poetry and prose and stuff, uh, with with the Psalms and Proverbs and others, and and then you have your major prophets and your minor prophets, and then you get to the New Testament, and you have the Gospels and then Acts is kind of like a continuation of the Gospels, a historical book. And then you have letters. And, and so um, not everything is in chronological order. And so we have to work to be able to understand these things. I remember when I first became a Christian at 17, I would hear people talk about the Bible, and I would think, how in the world do they know that? How will I ever be able to know all this information? I mean, look how big this book is. And this isn't even a study Bible, right? Some of those things are this thick. So look how big this book is. How will I ever know this? But take it out of the context of it being the Bible. Think about other books, okay? How many of you have ever read the Chronicles of Narnia or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or some large fiction, War and Peace or something like that, okay? One kid, awesome. You're the man. I know Mr. Bill has read all the Twilight series. We take in all this information all the time, whether it's through reading or some sort of me- some some medium. It, it could be television, it could be music, and we have all this stuff in our mind, and we have the capacity to retain it. Some of us better than others, and I understand as we get older, it gets harder. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm not putting us all on the same plane with this, but we all have the capacity to remember something. And so let's start remembering what we know, and let's just keep reading. And as we read, even if all we're we're ultimately remembering is this one, two, or three truths, as we're reading all of Scripture, our understanding of these one, two, or three truths is being shaped better and transformed better. And the next thing you know, maybe you have the opportunity to remember a fourth thing or a fifth thing. And then years and years down the line, you're, if you work, if you read, if you listen, if you study, then as you work, you're going to have a better and better understanding of Scripture. But as you're reading, as you're working, you have to put it into practice. Because if you're not putting it into practice, it just becomes a head knowledge. And I truly believe that the most conceited people in the world are, are people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who take in the Word of God but don't live it out because they know all of what's right. And they think it's so easy because to them it's only about knowing. But as soon as we start trying to do the Scripture, obey the Scripture, we realize how difficult it is. And that's going to actually, that thought will lead us in a moment into our passage that we're going to be focusing on, our passages. Uh, But then we have other things. There's also, we have to understand that our concepts, remember, God knows the plans that he has for us and they're good. Well, that's good according to what God says is good, not necessarily according to what we culturally think is good. In, in Romans 8.28, God says that he is going to work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Okay? But what is good? Again, what is good? Good for us is being transformed into the likeness of God. of Him transforming us into the men and women that he desires us to be. Into these men and women who love, who give grace freely, who 
love people enough to, to correct them when they're wrong, who, but do it in humility and gentleness. It, these people who help those when they see them in need. These people who, when you look at them, they look as Jesus is described. They live their life like Jesus lived his life. And that's good. And sometimes really difficult things have to happen in our lives to get us to a place of good. And so when God says that it's going to end in our good, that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And so we have to realize that maybe our concepts of some things, like what is good, need to be changed. Or 1 John four sixteen, God is love. Well, we, we have an understanding of what love is, and all of us in here probably have a different understanding because some of you, uh, in the same breath of, that you say, man, I love my wife, or I love my husband, or I love my children, you also say, I love pizza. And I hope that they're not on the same level. If they are, just come talk to me. We need to have a discussion. But, I mean, I love food as much as the next guy, just not quite as much as my family, okay? And so... God is love. Well, we have to have an understanding of what, what is love. And so there are concepts that we have to understand. So n- not only do we have to know the context, but we have to understand what these things, what these words really mean. And there's just no easy way to get there. We just have to study. But let me tell you that when we read and when we study and when we do, and you can't take out the doing, when we obey the Scripture, when we live out the Scripture, then it is good. And there's nothing better for us. There's nothing better for the people around us because we are going to be living our lives like Jesus lived his life. We are going to be loving people like Jesus loves them. And so we want to live these things out. So let's, let me look at these two passages. And you can turn there with me. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. How many of you have ever heard that verse? Judge not that you be not judged. Okay? This is very popular. Uh, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Judge not. But it doesn't just... It, and they'll quote scripture. It says, the scripture says judge not. The scripture says not to judge. Are you God? But is that what all of scripture says? No. In fact, is that what this even says? Let's keep reading. Judge not that you be not judged... For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So is this saying, do not judge, and that's the end? Do not judge, period, and there's nothing more to it? No. It's saying, stop being a hypocrite. Stop judging people for their sins when you don't even deal with your own sins. And if you're dealing with your own sins, by the way, then you are going to be able to deal with other people's sins with humility. With grace. Because the way it's going to be measured, the way we measure it to others, the way we give it to others, it will be given back to us. And so we need to approach people and we need to understand that we're all sinners. 
And this isn't saying do not judge, period. That's it. That's all there is to it. Don't judge. Then that would neglect the dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of verses in Scripture that tell us how to properly judge other people. How to judge a tree by its fruit, for example. And so judging is something we should do. We should just do it the right way. With humility, with grace, with mercy, with love. We're not judging someone to say, look at your sin and look how evil you are. Look how nasty you are. Look how bad you are. Which is the way a lot of people judge. We, a lot of people judge to put others down. That's not why we're judging. We're judging to say, look at this sin in your life so that we can help people get rid of that sin so that they can live for God. But this passage is not the only passage in Scripture that talks about judging. We get a lot of great stuff from this passage. We see that we should worry about the plank, the huge board that's in our eye, which is hyperbole, right? How is a plank even going to fit in the eye? But he's exaggerating for effect to show us how silly it is for us to worry about a little speck in someone else's eye when we're not even worried about the plank in our own eye. We have to be humble and deal with our own sin as we are simultaneously dealing with the sins of others. So if, if you have sin in your life, as your pastor, does that mean that I, shouldn't, that I should just ignore it and not judge you and just let you live your life the, however you want to? No, that would ignore so much of Scripture. That would go against who Jesus was what God is trying to do in our lives to make us into his image, it would go against so much. For all of us, when we see people who are in sin, people we love who are in sin, then we are to gently, lovingly, but firmly approach that sin and speak truth into the life of that person so that they can see that that sin, so that hopefully they can deal with it. They can repent of it and get right with God. But what we don't do is say, oh, you're such a sinner. And we, well, the whole time we're sinning. You know the irony for me of how mad we get about the LGBTQ plus, it keeps going, the homosexuality and that kind of stuff. The thing is, is we get so mad about that. But in churches, there's rampant divorce, not for biblical reasons, just because people don't like each other. There's adultery, there's pornography, and we don't seem to really care about those things or say much about those things. Let's deal with all sin. Let's not just look for the speck in someone else's eye while we're ignoring all the sins in our lives. We have to deal with all sin because we have to take into account all of Scripture. Not just the ones that we want to pick out and say, these are bad. We have to take into account all of Scripture. Now, sin is sin. All sin leads to death. We need to be against sin as, as strongly as we can. We just need to do it like Jesus did it. We need to do it with love. We need to do it with compassion. We need to do it with understanding. And so, uh, we don't have time to dwell. So, turn to chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. How many of you have ever heard um, where two or three are gathered, I'm there also? Okay? Now, how many of you have ever heard that in the context of prayer? 
Like if we pray where two or three are gathered, if there's two or three of us, God's going to hear us. Okay, have you ever really thought about that? Is God omnipresent? Which means he's everywhere simultaneously at once. Okay, so if you're by yourself in a cave in the ocean, and there's no one else around, is God there? So where you are by yourself, I am there also. So why does he say where two or three are gathered? Well, there is a reason for it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. And again, this is an overview. We can't spend a lot of time on this. I'm just pointing out these different passages. I'm just showing these things to you, and I want us to look at them together so that we can see maybe we need to have a better view, a better, wider understanding of Scripture. And before we start zooming in and, and giving meaning to something that it shouldn't be there, let's, let's just make sure it fits into the whole of Scripture. Okay, sorry. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, do not judge him. Oh, sorry, that's not what that says. Okay, so this, this is, you know, directly related to what we just talked about. But if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and the whole world. No, between you and him alone. But you see, we, our first instinct when someone hurts us is to go gossip about it. Or to go tell this person, who then tells this person, who tell, then tells this person. If someone sins against you, go to them. Confront them. Not to start a fight but to make things right between you. That rhymed. I'm a poet and didn't know it. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So it's saying, you know, if you go to him, just the two of you, and you try to make it right. And by the way, this is... Well, I'll get there in a second. If if you're trying to make it right and he doesn't want to make it right, then you go back with two or three friends, both of yours. Hopefully, it's people who can be peacemakers and not people who are going to take sides. But you go back and, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So this is specifically in a church context. If someone in your church sins against you, you go to them and you tell them their fault. If they don't listen, if they don't want to remedy it, you go with two or three witnesses. Not, not people who are going to take your side, people who are going to be, you know, who aren't, who are going to take the side of this, who are going to take the side of the Bible. And, and if, he, if that person still refuses to listen, then you bring it before the church. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, Jesus loved Gentiles and tax collector, but... but, but what he's saying is, is that you consider him as a person who's not saved. You consider him as a person who does not know God. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This verse is given to help us with church discipline. This verse is there to say, if you want to confront someone in love, go do it by yourself first. And if they don't listen, then get two or three witnesses to go with you. And if you all agree, if it's not just your opinion or your hurt feelings, if it's truth and you all agree 
then God is in it. He is your witness also. He is standing beside you. And so that's the context of this. And we have to be careful because we can uh, innocently, what I mean by that is we don't know we're doing, we're taking it out of context. We can take things out of context and make them mean something. And it does a few things. First, it takes power away from the original passage because that verse has a place. And when people are experiencing something in life where they need that verse, If they know that that verse applies to that thing, it's important and it's powerful. Second, we need to make sure that we're not taking things out of context because we might tell someone something out of context and as soon as they realize the truth behind it, well, that person lied to me. Again, I know it's not purposefully or anything, but they will feel, you know, like you deceived them. If you're telling them that a verse means something that it doesn't mean, especially for leaders, we have to be careful about God's word when we're teaching it. We need to know what truth is, and we need to make sure that we're doing a good job of teaching all of God's word and all of its counsel and not just parts or what we think it means. We're taking things out to mean something else. Last thing I'll say about it. If something is true, if something is true, and I mean spiritually speaking, if something is true, you don't have to take a verse out of context to make it mean what is true. Because there are going to be verses that apply to that truth, that you can just go in their context and use those verses. It just takes a little more work. You just have to know where to look. And so I'm not saying if something is true, don't share scripture on the topic. I'm just saying share the right scripture. And we don't have to make scripture mean something it doesn't mean. When we do that, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. And we might be thinking, it's got to mean this because of these other things. But if it isn't clear within the context of scripture that this verse means this then don't make it mean something it doesn't mean does that make sense okay so i know 50 people are about to walk the aisle no that this isn't one of those type of messages right this is a message of i want us to do what this says and we can't be unified about what direction we need to go and how we need to handle things as they arise in the church. And how we should be proactive about things. We can't do things biblically if we don't know the Bible. And so I want us to be on the same page as much as we can. Because I want us to impact this world for Jesus. I want us to impact our families for Jesus. I want us to see God moving in power. And he has given us everything we need to know of him. To, to change our lives and for that power to start right here to impact us personally and then to overflow out. We can't contain all of this in us. If you're taking this in and you're trying to live it out, you're going to be telling people about what God is doing in your life. And how can we even get there if we're not even going here? And how can we get there if we're taking this And making it mean something else. And so instead of us going down the road that God wants us to travel down, we're making it mean something that's going to take us down this road over here. And we as churches wonder how we get ourselves in so much trouble. It's because we stop learning and doing this. And so I believe that God can use this church for great things. But it's not going to happen if we ignore this. If we abuse this, if we pervert this, 
this is the power that God would, would use. You know, he, he sent us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. God dwells in us. And I believe that this unlocks so much of what God wants to do through us. When we know and his spirit is counseling and teaching us through his word so that we can do truth, there is no limit to what God can do through us. But if we think we know it all and we want to judge sinners in the wrong way and we want to be hypocrites and we want to do the opposite of what God is telling us to do, that was just one passage that we looked at today, but we want to do things opposite of the way God actually is telling us to do things, then we can do that. We have the freedom to do that. But it will not lead us where we want to go. It will result in negative consequences. But if we do things His way, there's no telling what God might do through this church, through you, in your family, in our lives. 